Good morning, Lansing. It's Saturday, it's 9 a.m., and the pet experts are in the building. This is the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS and 1320WILS.com. Now, here are your hosts, Rick Pruce and Lee Cohen. Welcome, pet keepers, to this week's MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. I'm your host, Lee Cohen, here with my co-host, the pet expert himself, Mr. Rick Pruce. Good morning, Rick. Lee, how you doing, sir? I'm good, Rick. It's been a long time since you and I had the opportunity to sit in the studio. Just uh, you and just, me. Just the just two of us. Just the two of us. Going back Well, we did time. it a lot of years. <laughs> yeah, so we did. It's so. been a joy um, having the doctor on. So Dr. Schultz has, uh, you know, just been uh, an excellent addition to the show. But just like... Uh, I was gone last week. Uh, well, no, I wasn't gone last no, week. No, you I were on the phone in. at least. I was talking about being gone, but right. I got on there. No, but so, he's but. on vacation, and we'll let him enjoy his vacation. Oh, he's on his retirement. <laughs> exactly. He's allowed to do whatever he wants to do. That's exactly If he wants right. to be on the show, he's on the show. If he wants to be off the show... He's off the show. Well, last week he was actually a very big help because he helped us get one of the leading experts, not just in the state of Michigan, but arguably in the country when it comes to uh, pet foods, and that's Dr. Abood, and boy... What an informative show that was. I can't encourage people enough to go back and listen to that show in our archives and hear what they talked about because when we've got you, who's pretty sciencey, even though you might not look it, but you are, <laughs> and Dr. Schultz, who's very sciencey, and you put Dr. Aboot on there, yet the whole conversation. I was I was sticking with you, and I'm not too sciencey. <laughs> Don't forget, we also have eye candy. Why do we have you, huh? Well, that's exactly there. You go. That's exactly right. Especially <laughs> no, now, you were, you were you were quite the contributor as well. Well, it was a very good show, and I encourage people to pay attention to it because I cannot say often enough how many times when you track down problems animals are having, yeah, it comes back to either the food that they're eating or the environment that you're putting them in or the husbandry that you're providing for them. Mm -hmm. But that's far more often the issues than, oh, it was a sick animal or there there was a problem with it. It's almost always going to be tied to the ongoing things that we do to keep them thriving even though they're no longer in the natural setting in which they were maybe meant to be born. Well, uh, care and keeping is certainly uh, most of what it takes to have a healthy pet. There's no doubt about it. And uh, I can tell you when it comes to nutrition, I've seen a number of instances because uh, things like fish, um, I think it's it's a different industry than dog and dog nutrition. And I've seen the evidence of scenarios where companies come out with foods that sound like the perfect bells and whistles that you would want to properly take care of your, you know, fish, you know, and yet when they're on it, they just don't perform well. Mm-hmm. And sometimes on a wholesale level, like literally whatever fish we put on it, there's something missing. There's some dynamics that's not good, you know. So uh, one long time proven Food products, you know, food products and, you know, I recommend stuff that our fish breeder mm-hmm. uses and finds to be nutritionally competent because there's always kind of an ongoing like, 
on the new horizon food products, especially in fish. It's a little bit more um, uh, proven path, I think, on dogs and cats. Mm -hmm. There's always going to be new foods that come to the marketplace. But as she was saying, there's uh, Dr. Abood was saying, there are at least competencies of ingredients that is required for all foods that, well, not required, but nearly required. No, no foods show up on most of our shelves that don't have the accreditation necessary for saying this is a safe food. Right. But the thing a lot of people are starting to do is they're looking at how can I supplement what I'm providing in a food, whether it's with vitamins or minerals or I've heard a variety of different things. And I, I think it's great that people want their animals to eat well and live well. But at the same time, uh, I personally just think that a lot of what these animals need too is some free time outside because I got to tell you, last weekend I went to the dog park that was responsible for creating this show in the first place because that's where the idea came to me. But I was there and spent about an hour with my dogs cruising around. Not only was it great for me to get over a mile and walking in on my little steps thing that I've got on my phone. So Good job. I'm Good getting job. some exercise, but you could just see a difference in the dogs. Uh, uh-huh. it, it's just, it's remarkable how much animals thrive at being able to run around, play, and do what they like to do. And so many people just, uh, I'll put them outside and they'll just do it on their own. And that's not always the case. And so I just, I think you need to find ways to also take care of your animals in terms of husbandry, meaning getting them exercise, keeping their mental uh, mind occupied with things that keep them out of trouble. A lot of behaviors that we see it's not the animals doing what animals don't do. It's yeah. what we're not doing in order yeah. to keep them from doing what the animals do. No, you got it correct. And uh, we might be, as a populace, good, bad, or in between couch potatoes, but most of these dogs and cats really need to be like back to the, you know, exercise and functional use. I'm. I'm trying to get into that myself. Yeah. You know, we we all we're no different than these animals, but uh-huh. we just choose to go a different path. Well, um, it's good for all of us to do. But Rick, this week we're going to talk about your favorite animals because most people, if I said what is Rick Bruce's favorite animal, they would say to me fish. And the truth is, it's an easy thing to guess based on your wardrobe. But the fact is that for people who don't know, it's guinea pigs. Because Mr. Proust, who is no spring chicken anymore, has been <laughs> playing with guinea pigs since he was five years old. A youth in Pennsylvania, lost in a field, playing with his guinea pigs. And we're going to talk all about what great pets they are and some of the issues and just all great things about them because if you haven't had them you're going to begin to understand why they've become so popular and in fact where it used to be everyone just thought of oh when i'm going to get a small animal it was a gerbil or it was a hamster but guinea pigs are really cool animals and a lot of people love them we'll talk about it today on the mid-michigan pet expert talk show on 1320 wils for the latest news and information on animal care. It's the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. Here are your hosts, Rick Pruse and Lee Cohen. We're back here with the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. 
And Rick, let's talk about guinea pigs because the truth is, as you and I were talking, as we were getting ready for this week's show, and I always kind of think about who's the best person to talk about a topic. And I don't want to burn you out as the person to talk to all the time because I like you asking questions, not necessarily always giving the answers. But fact is, I don't think there are many people that have more of a passion for guinea pigs than you do. Talk to our listeners about where that came from because they may not know your evolution through the pet industry. How did this man become who he is today? Tell tell the listeners about where your passion started with guinea pigs. So I just remember uh, my sister was maybe five, which would make me maybe eight or nine, and she got a guinea pig. Uh, I remember my dad making a guinea pig cage out of the inside of a of a dryer. You know the the ventilated, mm-hmm. uh, de, you know the circular drum. The, the circular drum. He turned yeah. that up, upright and then had legs on it and made that a guinea pig cage. And uh, what was interesting was I was she was not interested in that guinea pig. I was fascinated with it. So not only did I get that guinea pig as my first pet, um, but through my, you know, years of eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, I went from it, it was one of those scenarios where I don't know I was um, guinea pigs just seemed like the ultimate pet for me. You know, mm-hmm. they were, you could handle any one of them. It's it's hard to find a guinea pig that you can't just hold, caress, and have. Uh, the, the cute little legs that they have, you know, the fact that uh, they're larger than something like a hamster or a gerbil, mm-hmm. so they're they're more interactive. Mm-hmm. They respond really quickly to like the refrigerator door opening or you walking into the room, or uh, you know, for a young kid, that's pretty cool. Um, and then they, with those short little legs, you know, they tend to like to cave around, mm-hmm. <laughs> referred to as cavies, right? right. So they they cave. Here and there, they like tunnels and such. So my friends and I, I was kind of the ringleader of this, would come over to my house and we would make cages that we would keep them in. And I, by the time we opened our first pet store, I had maybe 30 of them. Wow. And All uh, different breeds or pretty yeah, much the I, same breed? I would, no, they were different breeds. Uh, I remember then we had, you know, short hair, long haired. You know, basically your four main groups are going to be um, your English, which is just a flat coat. Mm-hmm. And then a silky, which is a flat coat gone wild, really long hairs. Mm-hmm. And then there's the rosetted, which is the Abyssinian. Right. And and the idea of the Abyssinian is it has this the, the, the colics of hair all along the body. <laughs> and then if that grows way long, it becomes a Peruvian. Right. Now there's – then we get into the details of it. It goes way beyond that. Lots of other types of hair textures um, and uh, certain patterns. Some have straight hair, but just one little caulk on the head, so that that gets a name. There's an endless number of names of guinea pigs, but they all kind of shoot off of those four. Right. Well, yeah. I want to say I think there's, if I'm not mistaken, like forty. Yeah, that's what I remember. We've had breeds. we've had experts on the show that yeah. uh, look at it from like a 4-H perspective. Exactly. I kind of always looked at it as just kind of what do I like to look at? You right. know, what was I always you know fascinated with? And try colors tend to make you know get me excited. But I I think it was just the 
the noise that they make when you walk into the room and the sense that you have some companionship. I, you know, maybe, you know, we all have different pets that we pull to, but pets oftentimes give us some sense of like connectedness when you might feel alone, Right. Uh, when you might, you know, the fact that I was able to get friends to come over to the house to play with me with my guinea pigs gave me something that was important as a young child, uh, something to do when, you know, I was, I was, there was a lot of us, there were seven of us in the way of kids. Right. And so you could kind of get lost in that. So we each had our own little things that we liked I gotcha. and it gave us a sense of purpose and direction. So I think pets and pet keeping, you know, is, is an intimate thing, you know, that each one of us, you know, kind of connect to different animals. And I've always thought of guinea pigs as kind of an underdog, and I've always been a big <laughs> underdog fan. Right. So so for that reason, uh, and then uh, as the years go by, what was interesting is um, I got more into fish and fish keeping. You know, our first pet store, I brought a lot of guinea pigs to the table, so to speak. That was in the state of Pennsylvania. Right. But as the years go by, and I was in college, and then we went back into the pet business, Again, I was attracted to fish, and I think the, you know, I was more into the ecology of an aquarium and the environment and the complexity of that. Well, sure, the um, science of it, because that's kind of what you were studying. So. Now, we ended up moving. Well, we ended up we were uh, managing Noah's Ark that was down in East Lansing, mm-hmm. um, and then we ended up opening our own store, and my brother and my dad were the ones that did the build out for the most part. Mm-hmm. Rick was never the guy that was um, mechanical or, you know, the carpenter or the, you know, the one that, that, that he was always the, he was the good talker and good the, with animals. Yeah. Good with animals. <laughs> well, it wasn't totally true in that what I did is I took my extra time to build the Taj Mahal of guinea pig cages. <laughs> it was just great. Uh, you know, it, it, it looked rustic, right? But it was cool. I had uh, ramps and platforms. I used doweling for banisters. Was there minarets? Uh, <laughs> well, uh, there were a lot of shelves to, to carry them to the top. I had It was a three-level thing. I think it was like maybe uh, four by eight. Right. For, you know, size, and it took up a substantial amount of the pet store, but that was our first like display of guinea pigs. Um, That's when, when we when we opened the store in Hazlitt. So Pruce, it was it was actually Pruce Animal House when we opened the store in 1982, mm-hmm. and um, it was a family affair at that point. It was staying up all night. It was having no money, right. you know, so. I, I, I lived in the back of the pet store for the first year, year and a half. Right. And uh, it's where some pretty – I'm pretty emotional about everything that happened in that first couple years because it was a giant struggle, but it was it was a passion. It was, it was a love. It was like we created lots out of nothing. Right. Well, and, and people – I'm sorry to say they walk into – what you have today, which I would consider to be the Taj Mahal of independent pet stores, <laughs> and bottom line is, they just assume, oh, they've always been this way, and it's always been like this, and people don't realize how much yours is a long journey, 
and a lot of passion involved with it. And the animals are a really, really significant part of it. Now, let's talk for a second about longevity, because I remember from our conversation talking about animals like rats, that one of the best things about them as a pet is that they don't have a long lifetime. So one of the worst things about them. Well, it depends on what you're looking at, because kids get bored with animals. Yeah, you know, I... I'd, I'd, I'd push back on that a little bit. Please. Um, you know, I would say there's far more many a tears because a, a rat lives two years than there are those that are like relieved that it died in two years. Right. No, among the kids, I'm sure you're right. So, but among the parents who. Well, <laughs> I, I don't I don't even think that parents are that way. I do think, though, that that, you know, responsible parenting and responsible pet keeping involves, you know, what is not only the child prepared for, but what are the parents prepared right, for? exactly. And it is possible that knowing that a rat is going to live two years, but it's going to be a happy life and they're, they're an engaged pet and it's something that the child can understand and get, and, and get acquainted with and, and start to understand the natural world from an intimate perspective. Right. I think it's, it's possible that a parent would be well advised in getting something that was relatively short-lived. Not because it's necessarily short-lived, I mean, but the fact that there's going to be an animal that the child can have, it'll live its natural life, right? and the child can have a good experience. And then after that happens, you know, does the child want to continue with rats, or is there another animal, Ex- maybe another animal that lives... You know, like a cockatiel might live fifteen to twenty years. Right. But that's longer. kind of what. But that's kind of what I was alluding to is that when you're first getting used to it, and you've got, uh, I, I use a friend of mine as the example. His daughter has played virtually every musical instrument that exists on the face of the planet because every six months she gets bored and <laughs> switches to something else. But the thing is that with some of the animals, like I would imagine. What you mentioned about your affection that you had, the legitimate holding and and caressing the animal and just the fact that it was always there for you as almost a partner in everyday life and getting you Mm -hmm. through it as a young person. I think that that's a really cool thing about guinea pigs that people really ought to appreciate because some animals are just – nice way of saying it is they're, they're somewhat standoffish or in their own world. But guinea pigs, it seems like they're just very affectionate animals and really make wonderful pets in that way. Well, and and they can vary, right? Just like dogs can vary and certain breeds, you know, are known for one particular, you know, affectionate level versus another. And then you get one and it's a surprise. Right. But I would say almost predictably, you know, when you get a guinea pig, if you – care for it right and give it the right attention it's 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 the perfect lap animal it's mm-hmm. the perfect one for you know a young child their first pet i, I would say 5 years of age wasn't that inappropriate mm-hmm. um you know i was a little older but i think you know one of your first pets being a guinea pig makes a lot of sense they're big enough to handle right that can be a problem with uh children and even with guinea pigs you want to be careful um if dropped it's a problem so right. Teaching the children, you know, these are ones that do well when you sit down and you have your little play land within your bedroom or the kitchen or wherever you want, maybe a tiled surface, um, and, uh, and you just let them play in that area with you. 
and engage as opposed to running around the house with it. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't run around the house to it, but you better know that you have a good, secure animal that you can't drop before you start doing that. Right. Well, and and again, that's where parents do have to be involved with their children when it comes to uh, making sure that they are doing these things right. But it is a great way to get your children and On age, um, you know, we're looking at, you know, four years as an an average lifespan for a guinea pig. It wow. could be a little less. It could be a bit more. Right. But four years is not unusual for the lifespan of a guinea pig. No, and it, it's just, it sounds like a perfect pet. Uh, Rick, we need to take a quick break, but when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation and talk about what do people need to do specifically in order to make sure that they're giving a great life to their pet and vice versa. We'll have that conversation right here on 1320 WILS. It's the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. I am the little red rooster. It's 9.35 and we're back here with the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And Rick, to continue our conversation about guinea pigs, we've got with us on the line Sean Murphy, who works for Proust Pets pretty much in every way, shape, form, and whatever needs doing. He's usually the guy who's there. And Sean, I know you know a lot about small animals, so talk to me about your experience with guinea pigs and why you love them. Um, yeah, so my experience with guinea pigs is primarily through Proust. I've dealt with some other cabbies like in the zoo world, but uh, guinea pigs are just those cute, fuzzy, little furry potatoes. They, uh, <laughs> they're they're, they're, they're kind of derpy looking, but they're also very lovey at the same time. You, you know, they're, you can slightly train them. I think they train us more than we train them but yeah they, they have this ability as soon as they hear a feed bag or if they hear their hay they start squealing and then all of a sudden you see their little head popping up and you see their little buck teeth sticking up as they're looking through the cage like hey like where's my treat i'm over here can't you hear me squealing i'm right here give me my food you know so they're, they're really fun to deal with because there is a lot of little personality um in that tiny little body of theirs yeah and Therefore, the the name guinea pig uh, works out very very well. Uh, they, they the way to their heart is through their stomach, okay. without a doubt. <laughs> and and they're not from New Guinea, and they're not a pig, you know. So, but 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 <laughs> but, but they for have some that reason, pig tendency. Yeah, uh, <laughs> their natural environment. What do you know about where they come from? So they're a South American species. You be found, I believe, it's through like Brazil and even maybe parts of Argentina. Um, kind of live on like mountainsides, like in the forest and kind of jungle-like areas. They usually live in these large groups, and um, if you ever get to see video of them, they're almost like lemmings in a way. They have uh, they have these funny little trails like through the woods where they go find their food, and you'll just see twenty or thirty of them in their living groups out in the wild, just single file following one another, going to their food sources and their water sources, and then. Of course, back to like their little home base. I know I was doing watching a documentary. I think it was on Ecuador, and uh, well, not necessarily the best for this show, but uh, evidently they're actually on the menu, so to speak. So um, they are. Their their food source in South America, in the similar way that we would probably have chicken or to an extent rabbit. Um, it's not like a, a food that every single person eats, but the, it, it is a um, food source for yeah. people. Well, enough of that because we don't want to dwell on that. Although there is the within its same 
genus, I believe, uh, talk about the the big guy left out of the conversation. The, the so co- that would be the capybara. Yes, the copy is the uh, the biggest rodent in the world. Um, and just imagine a guinea pig that's like three feet tall and weighs maybe like twenty to thirty pounds, and is probably the most relaxed. I don't care about anything animal on the planet. I mean, these guys will hang around crocodilians and other predators and just sit there and fall asleep next to them and not even care. Uh, there's even videos of them climbing, climbing on uh, crocodiles' backs and then laying down. How did they um, get away with it? I, uh, I, I don't know. It's because they're cute? <laughs> I think, <laughs> you, I, yeah, I, I, I think it's this whole, like, hey, dude, like, I just don't care about anything. Don't worry about it. And the crocs are like, well... This guy's too nice. I don't think I'm going to eat him today. <laughs> I think it's just a cute face gets away with a lot in this world, even in the animal world. Yeah, that's well, very they're, interesting. They're kind of they're kind of like the Cheech and Chong of like rodents. Like you look at them, they've got the squinty eyes, and like they don't ever run from anything. It's like, hey, man, <laughs> why would you pick on me? <laughs> Well, that's nice, and I know that's one of those conversations we have around the store of why can't we have a loose one around the pet store, but probably not the best choice for a loose animal in a pet store. I'm telling you, man, they'll live around the river with no problem. Okay. All right. Well, stay tuned. We'll <laughs> now, see. Now, Sean, let's talk about when you get a guinea pig. Take us through the checklist of what are the things that you need to think about and prepare for if you're going to do the acquisition of your first guinea pig. Now, if you've had them before, you might be somewhat more prepared. But for your first one, what do we need to do and think about? Uh, Yeah, so, I mean, it's not that different than what we do with every animal here at the store. It's education first. Uh, So we're going to go through, like, what the daily care for this animal is, that they need fresh hay every day, uh, that they always need to have access to a water source and access their food. They need to have an enclosure big enough that they can get exercise and explore. Uh, they need enrichment, like any other animal, which is something that can stimulate them mentally and physically. So things like toys and tunnels and um, things that they have to work for to get their food out of. you know. And then, obviously, there's the, the hands-on portion of it, you know, like the, the getting them socialized to you and learning to watch their body movements and their body language, how often you should be taking them out. Uh, they are one of the animals that we have that needs to be groomed. You know, they need to have their nails trimmed, just like a cat or a dog. If we're looking at a Texel um, or a Peruvian guinea pig, which the Texels are like a curly-haired guinea pig and the Peruvians are the long-haired, they need to be groomed where they actually get haircut and brushed out, you know, at least a couple times a week. Um, so we kind of go over the care as a perspective of, like, taking care of a small cat or dog. It's, uh, we got to look at... You're going to have this animal for probably five to seven years or a little bit more. They need to have that regular grooming. Their food and water always needs to be checked. Um, they need the socialization. So, you know, it's not like it's, they're a hard pet, but they're not an easy pet either. It's a pet that just requires um, a little bit more care, a little bit more attention. And in doing so, you're going to create a great bond with this animal. They can be a fantastic pet. Um, you just got to, you know, work at it a little bit. I'm just out of curiosity. Um, what step? Who? Who in your staff? In the small? Uh, for those that are listening, we have the store broke uh, separated in different areas, and and the the one section of the store is the small animal, and that's kind of around the bus that we have there, and reptile department. But 
You have a number of staff members, uh, usually three to five at any given time. What what steps do you take to make sure that they're all trained and able to give that kind of advice and information? Well, um, anybody starting out here, I, I kind of put them through an extensive training period. That can be anywhere from a few months to six months, uh, but it's a training sheet, and it kind of like breaks down like daily care of all the animals and kind of like daily maintenance stuff. So when it comes to individual animals like a guinea pig, a lot of that is job shadowing. So when you learn to do our opening and closing duties, it's like, hey, check over food, water, give them hay. Um, and then part of the daily duties of checking the partner is who needs to be cleaned, who needs grooming. And so when it comes to the guinea pigs, usually uh, we're cleaning their cages like anywhere between every three to every five days, depending on how messy they are or how many are in there. And we kind of teach our new employees as they learn to clean the cage what type of maintenance that animal needs. So it's a very hands-on approach of, hey, like this animal needs to be cleaned as many times because they run around, they go to the bathroom. So when you're doing that, let's check their feet when you take them out. Let's check their nails, see if they need to be trimmed. Let's groom them if we, if we have them out and if they need that. And then let's look at how much they've been eating. Are they eating the right amount of their diet? Are they eating the right things out of their diet? Do they need better access to their hay and to their water? Uh, so all this is kind of like all-encompassing. Like some people just think, oh, I'm just going to go in and clean the cage. Well, it's not just that. When we clean the cage, we're teaching you all these other things about that animal as you're learning the cleaning aspect of it. And then as far as working with customers and finding the appropriate age group purpose for having a guinea pig, is there is there something in mind that you have when you're talking to customers that kind of rule in and rule out guinea pigs as an appropriate pet? For the most part, yeah. Um, I look at every single customer and every single case as a very individual one. Uh, because people be like, oh, that's a great first pet. Well, that's kind of dependent on the person. What kind of effort are they looking to put in? How hands-on is that parent going to be with the child? And all that makes a huge difference in the, like, what direction we go. Mm-hmm. And so with guinea pigs, it's kind of like a mini interview. You know, like, hey, like, you know that if you want this animal to be social, it has to be taken out, like, every day and, like, interact with you. So then we look at how much time do they have. Uh, do they do their homework when they get home from school and then they should be on a schedule to take out their guinea pig? Is their life kind of chaotic? Are they involved in lots of extracurriculars and therefore don't have a lot of time? Mm-hmm. And so I kind of play it out like that. We, we want to gauge the person and their schedule, and then that kind of helps us figure out, you know, is this the right animal for you? Are you going to have the right amount of time? Because any animal is a relationship. And it's got to be just as beneficial for the animal as it is for the person. And so if we find that, hey, maybe maybe this isn't the animal that's right for you, maybe you're too busy or maybe um, you don't have enough space for it, then maybe we should like look at something that's a little bit less time intrusive and then we just kind of make our way from there. And when we come back, I'd like people to kind of have a, you know, kind of a little journey uh, in back where I've noticed that we've picked up the idea of having guinea pigs back in the breeding room, and I want you to talk a little bit about that. We'll have that conversation with Sean Murphy right here on 1320 WILS. Hey, get some ideas for a show, questions, maybe suggestions. Just email us, mmpets at 1320wils.com. It's Rick Bruce and Lee Cohen. 
on the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show on 1320 WILS. I'd like to be We're back here with the MidMichigan Pet Expert Talk Show. And we've been talking this morning all about guinea pigs. And we have with us on the line Sean Murphy from Proust Pets. And Sean, to begin this section, let's talk about uh, when people have guinea pigs, the idea of breeding guinea pigs first of all let me just ask you the mechanical question when guinea pigs do have babies how big is is the litter that they typically have and how long is the gestation period that they go through in having babies gotcha um so typically depending on the age of the guinea pig or if if it's bred before litter sizes are usually like two to three Sometimes you get four or five, but that's usually very, very large. I want to. I want to. One second, Sean. Uh, just, just because um, one, I'll, I'll give you a hundred percent correct. But two, in the midst of breeding them, once I had a litter of eleven or twelve. Holy smokes! In one, one guinea pig. So, so the 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 odds are it's going to be a small <laughs> litter. And then the interesting thing, which Sean was going to mention, they're a they go through a long gestation period where they are pretty darn well-developed when they come out. But go ahead, Sean. Yeah, um, gestational period, I'm actually not sure of the exact length of time. Approximately two months. Two months. Yeah, I was thinking it was somewhere around six to eight weeks, which is usually pretty standard for mid-sized rodents. Um, But when they come out, they are fully functional. They are eyes open, running around, fully furred, eating solid food. Um, and they still get milk from their mother uh, while eating the solid food. But, I mean, they're because they are a prey item out in the wild, uh, they have to be ready to go right off the bat. Like, that's their defense mechanism is to be able to run away and yep. be able to hide. So if they had to go through a developmental stage right after birth, then the, the survival rate would actually be pretty low on them. Right, right. But it, that, that's one of the things that I always found fascinating is that, because I've watched many a guinea pig births, and you know, other than the wet sack that's around them, once they get that off, they're they they don't have any problems standing and walking around and <laughs> doing the normal things. And that's another you know fascinating aspect about guinea pigs is is their, but but it is a two month process and and. And because they have to stay in the oven longer. <laughs> well, yeah. you want good yeah, things, it, sometimes it, it takes time. And it, it's just funny how you say it, like watching them come out. It, it's such an odd thing for our species to see an animal fully functional the minute it hits the ground. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you watch births of a lot of wild animals, and that's just how it is, particularly, yeah. you know, uh, prey items or uh, in particular hoofstock animals. I mean, they're, they're, they get out and they have to start running. The classical uh, giraffe. Yeah, mama just dropping the baby out, walking away, and the baby has to get up and start following her. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and 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 for that note, um, uh, this is a—I'll just bring it up. Uh, You're you're uh, going through uh, childbirth for the first time as well. Is I, I can't imagine that you don't have a few emotional thoughts about this. Oh no! It's uh, there's a lot of emotional thoughts about that, but <laughs> it, it's a lot of anxiety. Everybody keeps asking me if I'm excited, and excited's one word for it. But like uh, I was telling you yesterday, I I'm a planner. Like I 
I have general time frames on everything. When I want to get it done, how is it going to happen, how my work week is going to go. <laughs> and so to be on call and not know if the next time my phone rings is going to be my wife saying, hey, we need to go to the hospital, it's just like, I, I don't know. It, it's that feeling like uh, if you did something wrong, you're waiting for your parents to notice, you know? <laughs> so, like, you got that lump in your stomach, like, oh, no, they know. And, you know, then you got to explain yourself. I, I've been feeling like that nonstop for a couple months, but in particular the last two weeks. And I was like, all right, I'm like, I know I'm ready. Everybody tells me I'm ready, but there's really no way to fully prepare for it, you know? Well, uh, ahead of time, congratulations on this because uh, uh, I know this is a very exciting time for you. But back to guinea pigs. Um, uh, what, what do we have, uh, going at the store and, and, uh, you know, how do we, uh, approach the marketplace? Uh, I know that I've been in back and we have some guinea pigs in the back breeding room. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah. So, uh, we have a, an entire room dedicated just to breeding mammals sustainably, uh, without overbreeding or farming them. And, uh, recently somebody had, sold us their guinea pig farm, essentially. Um, it was something they were really interested in, uh, but as they got into it, realized it was very time-consuming and very space-consuming. Um, and so they collectively came together with us and was like, hey, I kind of got in a little bit over my head. Would you guys be able to help me out? And so we took the, the piggies on, knowing that we had some room and we had the, the ability to take care of them. Uh, which just kind of plays into the aspect of a lot of times people get a small mammal and they're like, oh, hey, like, I paid X amount of dollars for this. If I breed my own, I can, you know, make money on it. Um, but what some people fail to realize is the amount of time it's going to take up, you know, your labor, uh, but also supply-wise and feeding those animals, cleaning those animals, um, and then just, like, the overall effort that's going to go into it to make sure that they're healthy. Because what happens if they're unhealthy? What happens if nobody can buy those animals from you? Well, now all of a sudden you have this gigantic clutch of guinea pigs that you don't really know what to do with. So there, there needs to be a little bit more thought in general. You know, we, we do get customers who are like, oh, yeah, I would, I would love to breed this animal. You guys will just buy them from me. And I'm like, well, not necessarily because for us that depends on, on space. I mean, I have, we have ours here. And then we also have a few customers who also breed for us, and it's always a time frame thing. It's always going to be a matter of, okay, like we could be expecting some space here and there, but I can't guarantee that at any given time. So uh, it's, you know, it's something that takes a lot of thought and a lot of planning to be able to go into. And so if you want to get more than one guinea pig and you don't want to breed them, uh, what would you want to do? Do how what what sex would you want to get and would or or would you have multiple cages? What what would be the appropriate? Yeah, can males uh, hang out together or are they going to fight? You know, so females usually get along pretty well. They're actually one of the few mammals that like for their whole life females tend to like each other. Um, they don't get territorial or anything like that. Uh, particularly if they're from the the same litter and you raise them up together, they end up being perfectly fine. Um, but you, you need to have extra space for them. You know, if, if minimal space we're recommending for one guinea pig is like a 48 by 24 by 18 cage, well, then ideally for two guinea pigs, you want to double that minimum. Uh, and they need to have their own hiding spots and things to go to. 
Now, if you try to put a couple males together, chances are they're going to fight. Um, if you raise a couple up from the same litter, they might get along once uh, they've hit sexual maturity, but you're kind of, it's kind of a crapshoot at that point. So to be on the safe side, we never really recommend that people put males together, but they can put females together. And, and yet, from personal experience, I've only been bit by guinea pigs twice. And both of them were scenarios where I had males sparring for the attention of females. And, um, mm-hmm. and that's something you, you want to be a careful, you know, be careful about. I mean, realistically, if you have a, a large number of guinea pigs in a very large area, you might find there's plenty of space for multiple males to be near each other. But as a general rule, that's not going to be the person listening to the show. And as a result, if we're looking at anything, it might be multiples of females. That's just like you're right, saying. and that and that's how we run our our guinea pigs upstairs. We have this giant enclosure that's like I don't know, it's either eight or ten feet long and like four feet wide, and you know we have like five females running around in there. But then the males all have their own separate cages, um, and the males grew up together. They can see each other, but we we don't put them in with one mm-hmm. another. They're on their own. They can go in with the females at select times to do their breeding, and then they get separated again. But we all we do that literally for the safety of the animal. It's to make sure that they're okay and that nothing bad's going to happen to them. Last thing we want to do is jeopardize an animal's life. Sure. And for somebody that's actually thinking about getting a guinea pig, um, they can certainly come in and take a look at the types of things that they need to think about. Uh, do you want to go in a quick uh, canvas of the types of things they're going to be looking for? Yeah, so uh, appropriate cage size is always, like, number one. Uh, we don't want any animal crammed into a tiny space. Um, just because something can fit inside a space doesn't mean that it's livable, nevertheless thrivable. We, we look for thrivable. So we carry a variety of cages that are large enough, and we always suggest letting them out as often as possible. Uh, dietary needs are a big thing. Um, guinea pigs uh, and, and cavies are the only animals other than humans that can't produce their own vitamin C. Uh, so you have to make sure that you have a diet that is high in vitamin C form. Uh, that way they don't get scurvy. Uh, we don't want them to be pirates. Um, and then uh, making sure that they have access to hay. They're, they're a constant grazer. They're like a miniature cow, so they're always going to need like some grazing. And the fiber helps with like their dietary needs and pushing through their waste. Thank you so much, Sean. We appreciate your time this morning. Yeah, no problem at all. Uh, and Rick, uh great conversation we'll have another one next weekend so on behalf of our producer bruce warner my co-host rick bruce is lee cohen wishing all of you a great weekend we'll talk next weekend on the mid-michigan pet expert talk show and please please take good care of your pets have a great week